Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex podcast. I'm Jawad as always, and thanks for joining me. Today, 7th of November, the 2019 Formula One World Championship has been wrapped up. We've got two races to go, um, but yeah, the championship itself, we knew it was going to be over over the weekend in um, Austin in Texas, and it's finally complete. And yeah, now you just sit here and kind of look back at the journey that was 2019 in the championship also sit and pause and reflect I guess on the achievement that Lewis Hamilton has um has accomplished because yeah he's won six world championships now one away from Michael Schumacher he's eight wins away from Michael Schumacher's record as well so you know Schumacher set those benchmarks you know back what you know 15 years ago now and yeah probably could say that almost yeah almost 15 years ago now and you would never have thought at the time that anyone would surpass it or surpass it this soon but here we are Lewis Hamilton has done it so we're going to talk a bit about that today of course I'll get to Lewis in a bit more depth later on let's talk about the race itself um, for the United States Grand Prix then got some supercars as well and also 2021 the regulations finally got confirmed as well ahead of the Grand Prix last week so yeah um, the day that the championship was decided ultimately on Sunday but it was Valtteri Bottas who won the race for Mercedes now he was on pole and he's been in great form recently as Bottas. He's won two races in the last three now. Um, but ultimately, you know, he himself said a, sort of said after the race that he was happy for the win, but ultimately disappointed with the loss of the championship. So he, you know, kind of admitting that he could have been better at times this year. And you could probably say that too in reflection. And I'm sure at the end of the year when I sit back and do the the yearly review that I'd probably say something similar that, you know, there was times where Bottas just wasn't there at all on a race weekend where it's been a bit more of a consistent season for Lewis Hamilton, in fact, this year. It was a great race, though, all up, um, dictated ultimately by tyre strategy again. Ferrari, unfortunately, not um, amongst the contenders, as I sort of predicted that they should have a good weekend, but they just had a complete complete you know it was a complete opposite for them and miserable race too which I'll get to in a moment but yeah it was pretty much between Mercedes and Red Bull with Max Verstappen essentially and even Max you know he sort of came back towards the end of the race to try and get second but um, Bottas going on a two-stop strategy basically responding to Max Verstappen Red Bull pulling the strategy trigger again Lewis Hamilton he started fifth he didn't really have a great qualifying um, but made up ground early in the race got onto a one-stop strategy the hard tire um, and unfortunately the hard tire here in Texas didn't do the distance like it did in Mexico so he sort of fell away later in the race um, he was leading because Bottas and Max all went on to the two stopper and then Bottas ultimately came back to pass Hamilton for the lead so we thought that'd be a good it was a bit of a good fight between the two teammates but ultimately you know when when you've got no tires you don't really need to win the race either you can to win the championship you can just fall back and let your teammate through but um 
I'm sure Hamilton would have wanted to have taken out in style and even take it with a win, but still they secured a 1-2 finish in Mercedes, so again, you know, they've been the benchmark team all year, and this is the point that I want to make, is that it's been all year they've been consistent, and the benchmark, you know, they don't just show up for two weekends to be really quick, or three weekends and then fall away, and important to note too, I think this is the first time since the um, we came back from the mid-season break that Ferrari have not been on pole position so that sort of Mercedes sort of ended that run that they had of the poles but um, yeah you know for Mercedes they just keep doing it they just know how to they're just used to winning they know what it's like being in this situation it's not really foreign to them anymore whereas you know other teams like Red Bull or even Ferrari as we keep saying, <laughs> they just seem to not know how to win win consistently anymore. And it's a shame because, you know, Ferrari, of course, you look at the, their domination with Michael Schumacher. They basically took him to those seven world titles after he won his two at Benetton in the 90s. So similarly, you know, that's what Mercedes have replicated with, with Lewis Hamilton here, if not done it in a better way and just more dominant fashion. As I was saying before too, Max had an opportunity to come back and finish second, but ultimately there was a yellow flag, double wave yellows in the second sector where the long straight is where you can use the DRS, um, where Kevin Magnussen ended up in the gravel in the last two laps, and as a result of that, uh, Max had to back off and couldn't get past Lewis. So yeah, Verstappen could have easily had second, but good to see him finish third. It was a bit of a horrible race for him in Mexico um, and after he had the pole position taken away from him as well but still another podium for him he's had a really good year and where Ferrari aren't there you know Max is there so that always brings a bit of excitement and it was quite interesting as well like there was a whole sub narrative around the weekend about this protest that Red Bull took to the stewards um, and the FIA about Ferrari using some kind of trick fuel flow measuring system or whatever and how that's giving him an unfair power advantage and something like that. So, you know, obviously the FIA didn't find anything, you know, as is often the case, but then they issued some kind of te- a technical directive, which pretty much is them saying we're on to the case, but, um, or reinforcing, reinforcing the law. So, whether because of that, whether that has anything to do with Ferrari's lack of form over the weekend or not, who knows? Ferrari want to tell you that, yeah, the bumps, because it was awfully bumpy out there. Um, it's caused for a lot of complaints over the weekend. It was the bumps that caused their, you know, power deficit or straight line speed deficit that they had over the weekend, and that's basically what hampered them for the entire weekend. I mean, Leclerc, Charles Leclerc qualified. Well, yeah, so Vettel was second, in the end Leclerc fourth, um, but then in the race they just had no pace, no race pace at all, so let's go there now, and Vettel, shocking start, fell back, he was on the front row, and then ends up retiring on lap eight with a suspension failure, you know, just the rear just completely let go, whether he went over a bump awkwardly, or was it to do with the uh, sorry, if he went over the curbs awkwardly or, you know, to do with the bumps of the of the circuit, who knows, but uh, that was that was that for Seb, just 
another slap in the face really for them for the the season they've had and you know I know it got a bit exciting a few races ago where they went on that three race winning streak and Charles Leclerc was on pole for for forever but yeah you know it's as as I said with Mercedes before the championship is not one in three races it's one across a whole season and Ferrari are yet to bring together a whole season let alone half a season as well so you know you look at this second half of the season where they've been really strong it's only been in stages so the last few races they've really fell away as far as you know race pace is concerned and even strategy they've made some really dodgy calls as well so that was Seb's race out on the eighth lap Um, Leclerc just had no pace basically and to make matters worse you know he was on the same two-stop strategy as Bottas and Max could have potentially been a podium contender later on but you know again bungled pit stop in the second stop so that pretty much consigned him to fourth ended up having a lonely race to fourth and got the fastest lap at least as some kind of consolation but you know it just showed how far away they were all weekend and you know in qualifying they're a bit closer as you'd expect but it's the races that they've really got to get their act together and make sure that they can get themselves ahead even if they even if they're not strong on those tires you know even just executing the right strategy calls to get track position because if if it was say for example if Leclerc was in a podium place at the end of the race and he was fighting off Hamilton or Verstappen and that yellow flag comes out that would have helped him be on the podium so you look at these calls and these decisions that are made and um, you got to say whether in hindsight it was the right call or the right decision but anyway you can only debate it and discuss it in your head to um, understand whether it was right or wrong so yeah we'll see now two races to go where Ferrari finish Um, Leclerc definitely has had a strong second half of the season he's had a strong year you could say and whether he'll finish third in the championship is going to depend on what happens in the next two races because Verstappen is pretty strong as well and going into Brazil especially and you know last year of course that opportunity to win the race go back to back in Brazil was taken away with that um, clash with Esteban Ocon that he had (laughs) controversially Um, and you know if you watch the Netflix series over and over again you'll see that moment sort of amplified there and then Abu Dhabi of course is always a mixed one uh, which Mercedes have been the dominant team over the last few years so yeah you'll just have to we'll have to see what happens in regards to those guys but again if I was to do the end of year review today it would just be consistency you know it's not there and just executing those one percenters like your your strategy calls and your pit stops and everything like that you know you could have the fastest car yeah but when you bungle your pit stops when you make bad decisions on the pit wall in terms of strategy that that goes to really hurt your race you know if it was just a race a pure sprint race with no pit stops or anything like that then yeah perhaps they could do it but um it's a grand prix there's a lot involved there's a lot of variables and they've got to take that into account hopefully for next year because you know I'm sure Mercedes don't want to have another fight with themselves for the championship next year and I know that a lot of fans will will want um, to see either Red Bull or Ferrari get in on the act as well behind the top four then I guess you had Alex Albon again 
finishing P5, but the story of his race was um, was quite a fascinating one. So he was pretty much fighting from the back of the grid after a first lap collision or contact with Carlos Sainz. Had to make an extra pit stop as well, and he was able to recover to come back and finish fifth, um, which, you know, on paper, again, he's been really consistent and great, and you got to say... Um, he should be shoring up that drive for Red Bull next year as well, where hopefully he can take that next step and, you know, get on the podium even or challenge for a race win or something, depending on how competitive Red Bull are. But he's still got two races to go this year, and I still feel that maybe a podium could be on for Albon if we have a crazy race in Brazil like always, or even in Abu Dhabi. Um, Albon's just been, yeah, just in the races, he's been really strong. You know, he's been very calm he's been composed he's been mature doesn't often get into trouble apart from here we go that first lap with um with science but um yeah you know he's going to be one to look out for in these last two races but also if he does get that red bull drive next year i reckon he'll be a solid you know like not going to say number two driver because it carries so many negative connotations but he'll be a strong support to to max verstappen because i don't think albon would be ready yet to challenge for a championship, but who knows, you know, he if he starts beating Verstappen next year, then we'll, we'll see. So, yeah, that was the story of Alex Albon's race. McLaren, unfortunately, with Sainz, um, they still scored points, but they were beaten by the one-stopping Daniel Ricciardo, so Renault again uh, making the one-stop strategy work, this time on Daniel Ricciardo's side of the garage, and he finished sixth. Lando Norris had a great race in seventh, and um, Carlos Sainz home in eighth, and Ricardo actually saying if the race went on a couple more laps, he reckoned Lando would have got him, so, you know, good race for Lando, especially after what happened in Mexico last time, and it's been, you know, got a feel for Lando, really, a lot of the, the non-finishes and the troubles that he's had this year, not of his own cause, basically, and you would have seen him probably get more points this year have some better races as well but he's really had a strong rookie campaign and it's hard to go past him for for rookie of the year unless you want to look at Albon of course as well but I think all the rookies this year have been fantastic I mean George Russell's done a solid job at at Williams this year too even though he doesn't have a point to show for it that um, sole points belong to Robert Kubitzer at the moment but he's been just consistently on top of Kubitzer all year you know just blown Kubitzer out of the water if anything so next year hopefully with a more competitive package under his belt and also maybe a better uh, more competitive teammate sorry Robert <laughs> a more competitive teammate whether it's Nicholas Latifi or whoever it is definitely won't be Nico Hulkenberg that's for sure um You'd like to see, uh, sorry, George Russell a bit further up there because this guy is actually highly rated by Mercedes and by those uh, junior drivers that have just come into Formula One, like your Albons and your Norrises and everything. So we'll have to wait and see. And obviously, he Russell was the GP two or sorry Formula Two champion for last year, so um, he's definitely got that prestige and not prestige but that prowess behind him that he can totally get the job done and everything so yeah speaking of Nico Hulkenberg though he finished ninth making it double points for Renault but I think more more pressingly I guess with him is that it's looking likely now that the next two races will be his last two races in F1 and that's 
that's pretty sad given that Hulkenberg is a driver that everyone's sort of had big raps about and he's just never quite cut it with a big team like he's not been given the opportunity you thought that when he went to Renault a few years ago that Renault would be his ticket to the to the top time to the big time but you know Renault themselves have been pretty disappointing and it's unfortunate that he has to make way for Esteban Ocon next year and yeah so the reason why it's looking unlikely is because um, Alfa Romeo have announced that uh Antonio Giovinazzi will stay with the team for next year. So Alpha going with the same lineup. He and Kimi Raikkonen, um, consistency needed for 2020 and also the car needing improvement, which the last few races have been pretty pretty difficult for those guys. And, you know, no points at all. Giovinazzi finished 14th again. But, you know, with a, with a consistent lineup, I'm sure they'll be able to make inroads. I don't know what the situation with the Formula E grid is at the moment. I'm sure that's all full anyway. So I reckon, yeah, Hulkenberg maybe ends up in IndyCar, something like that. Um, I'm sure he'll be on the radar for a lot of teams as far as going into a development or test driver role is concerned. Maybe he might end up on Ferrari's books as most drivers who drop out of F1 or don't find a seat end up doing so. Or, yeah, even, even with Mercedes. So... Yeah, that'll be one to watch. But again, you know, sad that Hulkenberg has to ultimately make way on the grid. Um, a lot of people will argue that he's a bit overrated and he hasn't really justified his hype and everything like that. But you don't just go and win Le Mans in your first first go. And I know it wasn't all just Hulkenberg. There's two other drivers you know, that were there as well, El Bamba, who's no slouch, Nick Tandy, who's been in sports cars forever, GT cars, so, you know, and Hulkenberg's no slouch either, so to win on their first attempt is pretty, an achievement you can't really take away from him, but at the same time, yeah, what's it gotta, what's it gotta take for him to get a good drive in F1, and you know, I don't think, um, I don't think that, yeah, Red Bull are going to have him there because um, they probably want a driver who's going to, a young, another young driver from their, you know, from their own talent pool and Albon clearly fits that bill, whereas, you know, at Toro Rosso, you'd keep the uh, two drivers that they have currently put. And speaking of Toro Rosso, final lap contact again from Danny Kvyat, so... The return of the torpedo, you've got to say, he's gone back to his old ways the last couple of races, trying to go for desperate moves on the final lap. I mean, he seemed pretty annoyed, if we're going to keep it PG <laughs> or G-rated in this instance, but he seemed pretty annoyed that he was given the penalty this time um, when he made contact with Sergio Perez. The footage looks pretty dodgy though because it's only it's only an onboard from Perez's car and it basically looks like that Fiat's just come into him basically like a torpedo but um, I'd be keen to see some other angles as well and maybe get back to you guys on that one but he was given a five second penalty as a result of that was Kvyat so Perez was in 10th at the time that Kvyat made the move and Kvyat thought oh yeah you know I've got another point here but then yeah investigation post-race given the five-second penalty, so he drops out of the points again, and um, Checo gets to keep his point, and a good race for Checo too, given that he started from the pit lane after missing the Weybridge in practice, it's a big no-no if you do that, you get randomly called to the Weybridge during free practice, if you miss it, then that can result in a severe penalty, fine even, and, and, uh, and 
And in this instance, a uh, pit lane start penalty, so you have to start the race from pit lane. So, yeah, that pretty much wraps up the race side of things here in um, here for Texas. It was a great race in the end. Um, Bottas winning two races out of the last three. Verstappen up there, question mark over Ferrari. But ultimately, it was to be Lewis Hamilton's day. It was Mercedes' day. And we've got to ask the question now. Something I'm sure everyone is going to want to chip in and discuss, but, you know, is is the sixth title or the sixth championship for Hamilton the best? And also, should he be considered a great? And I say yes to both. I mean, if you didn't already think he was a great for having achieved three, four, and then five world championships, now that he's got six under his belt and is the second most successful driver on numbers in Formula One, um, then I don't know what it'll take for people to consider Hamilton to be a great. I mean, this is his third consecutive title as well. So since 2017, he's been on a roll. He's, you know, fought back or seen off the challenges of of Nico Rosberg um, back when they were teammates, 2014-15, to win those titles. 16, Hamilton lost there. You know, Rosberg more consistent, but just Hamilton had those bad days, which... I'll talk about in a bit in a second and then of course Sebastian Vettel in recent years has been the chief um, antagonist in the Hamilton narrative um, in 17 and 18 and then this year it was I guess you know kind of fighting his teammate fighting Charles Leclerc fighting Max Verstappen and everything so he's Hamilton Hamilton has kind of seen them all off and um this year, probably the most challenging for he and for his Mercedes team as well. Like, you know, maybe on the numbers it might not look that way, but on the inside and from like a emotional human point of view, the huge loss of Nicky Lauda this year, um, Nicky Lauda, the three-time world champion and non-executive chairman at Mercedes, the man who was instrumental in recruiting Lewis Hamilton from McLaren back in 2012, um, bringing him to a team that at the time was unproven and, you know, Lauda just, you know, worked his magic to try and convince Hamilton that in no time that this team would be a powerhouse and then we saw that in 2014 straight away. And Hamilton too at the time when he left McLaren was pretty raw, you got to say, even though he was already a world champion by then, um, he was still very immature in a lot of ways and... You just see the transformation over the few uh, over the last few years. You know, 2013 was a was a learning year, a sort of a, a stopgap year before the new regulations in 14, and then yeah, from 14 it's really where it all began. And you know, those years with Nico Rosberg, things really simmered between the two and Hamilton. You know, just. Things would get under his skin. He would get very agitated. Um, And especially with Rosberg, you know, there was a lot of mind games being played and uh, psychological warfare, if there's a better term for it. And 
Yeah, and 16 was kind of the real boiling point for that because Hamilton just cracked, you got to say, which is, when you look at him now, that you say, say that that's, that'd be a rare thing, you know, but it happens. It happens. It's it's what makes them human. Uh, makes It's what makes Hamilton human. And, you know, that's where, you know, basically Nico got the better of him there. But since then, you got to say, since Rosberg moved on, since he got Valtteri Bottas on his team, you know, he sort of goes about his own business and um, very much a team player. And, you know, seeing through the challenge of Vettel and Ferrari, Hamilton has really just sort of gone to this other level of maturity where it also seems like his, you know, his off-track life is also in good balance, you know, in good stead. You know, obviously, he's got, you know, his fashion label or whatever he does with Tommy Hilfiger on the side. Uh, musician, as we learned as well he did some kind of single with Christina Aguilera a while back and also more recently his um push for you know push towards sustainability and environmentalism as well what he's been doing on that side you know he's been a bit of an activist you could say he's got that chain of uh vegan burger restaurants opening up in in the UK as well so you know I I think over the years, it's, you know, I, I, I don't know. I can't really say that I'm, he's like my number one driver. I think he, I respect him so much more than I may have done a few years ago. And I think a lot of that is to do with how he's matured as well, you know, as, you know, he's, he wears his heart on his sleeve, which I've always appreciated. And I always dig that because I like athletes, drivers who, are willing to not hide behind the veneer of what they're doing, but to, to be out and a bit more open. Um, you know, I might not agree with, you know, the Hollywood-style lifestyle and everything, but, yeah, what he's doing is is what any of us should strive to do as far as, you know, trying to be better humans and everything, and I'm not going to criticise or chastise him for that. And... You know, when all that off-track stuff for him is in good harmony, this is where, you know, he's most dangerous on track as well. And, you know, there have been times this year where it's been a bit tough for him, but it's not like he's been defeated as he's been in previous seasons. You know, when you look at it, let's look... Okay, let's talk statistics and numbers then um, to, to look at his year. So this first eight races, he won six of them. And then for the rest of the year up until the most recent race... His worst finished all year has been P9. So he's been in the points. He's finished top five. So he's finished top nine for the whole season. You know, he's not had a single DNF. He's either been first or second or, you know, on the podium. Um, and that's that's on his bad days. And on the worst day probably was, you know, Germany, you know, at Hockenheim, that wet and wild race. And that's where he finished P9. So still scoring points. So this is where you got to say that he's so dangerous and Mercedes, they've not had the best car um, at times this year, but he's still been up there. Russia was a key example where, you know, it was a Ferrari race to win, but Lewis Hamilton came out and won it with the help of his team as well. And this is where, you know, Mercedes deserve a lot of credit too. And this all goes back to the Nicky Lauda thing, the Ross Braun who brought all these pieces together, if you want to talk about the team winning their sixth uh, consecutive Constructors' Championship, that it all sort of predates, you know, 
the hybrid era and what Mercedes were before then, you know, when they were first form out of uh, Braun GP. So there's a lot to there's a lot to consider and I guess acknowledge when you when you want to talk about Lewis Hamilton and also the achievements of Mercedes too. And I guess yeah, you know, I think he's one of the I do think now he is one of the greatest drivers that we've seen. And I guess a lot of people I think what people struggle with today is and this this is with anything I reckon is having that appreciation for what's what's there and and in front of them you know I think there's still going to be people who won't really have this acknowledgement or appreciation for what Hamilton's achieved until he retires from the sport which may not be for another couple of years now so you look at next year 2020 the regulations stay the same Mercedes will continue to just evolve what they're doing and he could easily equal Schumacher's championships next year. And also, halfway through next year, he could even be the all-time race winner in Formula 1, beating the um, record of 91 wins set by Schumacher. So, what you got to look at is, yeah, you know, he could... What if he continues beyond 2021? So, the new regulations come out, he decides to to sign on with Mercedes or even go over to a Ferrari or something like that. But he could easily race for another few years. And, you know, what what makes me say that is that this year where you've had your younger generation, your 21-year-olds, your 22-year-olds, in the likes of Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen, um, fighting him for race wins and everything... He's just seen them off, or he's you know battled with them like he's the same age. So that's going to be really intriguing to see here. That how do those guys, you know, Leclerc, Verstappen, whether Albon or Norris, end up in that group as well? Ocon, if he gets a chance to race with a top team, which I'm sure he will. How do they go against a six-time, potentially seven-time world champion? You know, it's going to be an ultimate test for those guys too. So yeah, just. Again, it's going to be when he retires that we all, everyone decides to to really acknowledge him. You know, as far as his racecraft and skill is concerned, you know, he's he's great over one lap. He's got that quality in the races as well. He's very strong, as we've seen this year. He knows how to work the strategy. I mean, he's been negative at times about the team strategies, but you know, he's still just pushed for it to, to make it work and we've seen it work you know Mexico for example Hungary as well when he was uh, able to get past Verstappen so yeah just the sometimes it feels like he doesn't have that self-belief but you know he he then at the end of the day shows it you know I guess the team radio stuff is probably what sort of irks people a little bit it's like you're just trying to be a bit of a drama queen blah 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 but yeah you know I definitely have a lot more appreciation for him, you know, after seeing what he's done this year. Not just now because he's won the sixth championship, but just from last year, I think from last year is where I was like, you know, he's a different driver now, Hamilton, than he was when even when he was racing Rosberg back in 2016. And we see a lot less mistakes from him now as well. And that's just the hallmark of a great driver. But 
you might think because he makes no mistakes, yeah, he's he's a bit mechanical, he's a bit of a robot, methodical, blah blah blah. No, he's still got all those imperfections that we as humans do. Where you know, away from the track, he he might make a slip up on social media with something he said, or he's uh, you know having to delete comments and stuff like that, or he's a bit outspoken about a particular issue. That's what makes us all human, and it's so good to see that we have this I don't want to say like Anton Senna for example was like some kind of mystical deity godlike person within Formula One you know Schumacher was this methodical um, methodical mechanical individual as I said before whereas Hamilton seems probably more human out of any of them you know and that's not a that's not a insult or a stain on the other guys you know they're they're still legends of the sport but Hamilton probably seems like the most grounded you could say or the most human of all those champions so I think that's where that's where I I'm going to make my conclusion now you know and for the year as well we'll see what the last two races bring I mean last year we saw Hamilton after he won the championship win the for the final races of the year there was another that was another thing you know a few years ago where people criticized him that after winning the championship he would just shut off and uh the last three races would be a breeze for him but no he just keeps going and um just keeps going and uh he's getting closer and closer to those 91 wins so yeah, you know, amongst the face of adversity, obviously the loss of Nicky Lauda this year as well was huge and the weekend in Monaco was emotional for everyone, I'm sure, whether you were at the track or watching from home, wherever, um, because Nicky Lauda was such an influential figure within the sport and for Hamilton as well, a key figure in his life, he's he said, and the win that he had in Monaco was probably the best way to pay tribute to Lauda as well as winning this championship. So yeah, that's that's where I'm going to conclude that and I'll leave you all to think about it, you know, whether you fully appreciate or acknowledge what Hamilton's achieved, whether you're fans of him or not, but maybe it's time to just to have a little rethink, you know, and just think about it from a human perspective as well because often we get lost in whether it's sport or other aspects of people in the public sphere or celebrity or whatever it is but yeah you know just have a rethink you know how from a human side of thing how human he is like you know yeah he probably flies around in a private jet something like that or actually no I heard he might have sold that jet off so there you go I mean he's now cleaning up rubbish on beaches and landfill and that sort of thing hey that's that's pretty cool if um if that is the case, but yeah, just, just have a little rethink, I reckon, I mean, you don't have to, you could totally tell me I'm an idiot or whatever for thinking that, but yeah, I just think it's, it's a different Lewis we're seeing, a more mature and human Lewis, which is great, and he can only get better from here, that's what I reckon. So that's six of the best for for Lewis Hamilton and six of the best, I guess, inspired this week by, I've had simply the best stuck in my head for some reason, Tina Turner. So, you know, you could even sing that for Hamilton if you want or whatever. 
I mean, that's... I don't know. I feel a bit... <laughs> I don't know if I'm blushing or not or feeling red in the face. Anyway, let's forget about it. But yeah, Simply the Best by Tina Turner. Get onto it. <laughs> um, we're still on Formula One though, um, just for a little bit longer, and the 2021 regulations were unveiled finally um, ahead of the US Grand Prix. They even had a special press conference to announce them with Chase Carey, uh, Ross Braun, and Nicholas Timbasis, who is part of the technical team now working on the regulations, along with Pat Simmons, all these ex-engineers and team, you know, technical chiefs that were in Formula One teams at. Uh, like at some point over the last 20-30 years a part of this team now so basic rundown and we've sort of talked about this when they did that um, draft release or whatever was that you know the cars are going to be more ground effect orientated so less emphasis on the wings the front wing and whatnot as well it's going to be more simplified as far as the elements are concerned 175 million dollar US dollar performance cost cap as well so that doesn't include you know driver salaries or marketing budgets it's purely car related um, development and whatnot so that's going to be enforced from 2021 next year there's going to be some kind of um, you know trial run for that as well and this is all going to be actually audited externally in fact, so not even from within the sport, it's good. they're going to have external auditors coming in and making sure that teams are compliant. Otherwise, they do face heavy sanctions, such as you know being excluded from the championship um, or having their points taken away, for example. Um, and what's going to help this will be the introduction of standardized parts as well so there's going to be certain parts that are going to be standardized um, I don't have the detailed list of it right now but I can we'll go over it soon anyway when we prepare for next year limited upgrades as well across race weekends so teams are not going to be allowed to bring upgrades to their cars like or introduce upgrades halfway through a race weekend as well they've uh, to cut costs as far as you know staff is concerned you know because we're going to be racing 22 races next year um, Thursday proceedings are going to be shifted to Friday so before practice on Friday so they're going to do the the press conference on the Friday for the drivers they're going to have the scrutineering done on a Friday too so that kind of minimizes costs for teams to have you know the the mechanics and crews on site on Thursday whereas Thursday is still going to be part of a Grand Prix weekend you know they're going to still do fan stuff I'm sure you know for for the fans and everything like autograph signings and all your support categories and everything which if you've heard me talk on before <laughs> talk about it before the Australian Grand Prix hands down is the best for that sort of thing and even you know going when I used to get my grandstand tickets and everything for the for the four days it was always for the four days because Thursday was such a crucial day as well because they offered so much and you know it's it's so fun so that's one thing to minimize costs as well a push also for all the teams and some of the teams do this throughout the year notably like the midfield teams but all the teams next year are going to have to give a minimum of two free practice sessions to their reserve and development drivers so to encourage young drivers to to get a taste of formula one machinery and that'll be good seeing you know the 
big teams do this, you know, such as your Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull, who typically would not have done something like this in the past. So, sorry, not next year, the year after 2021. I forget, we've still got a whole year to go before that. So, yeah, that's in in like you know in a simple way that's a rundown of what um to expect from 2021 and it looks very positive and very um encouraging but i guess it won't be until we get to 2021 where we'll know for sure whether these rules are a success success or not because the whole ground effect thing i guess the the goal for that is to see whether and from the simulation and the dyno test that they've done is to see whether cars can follow each other more closely than they can at the moment in dirty air and that's supposedly going to be reduced significantly in 2021 so cars will be able to follow each other a lot closer meaning that there could be more overtaking and more passing which will be good there'll be a different profile of tire as well so there'll be wider tires wider rims Um, they'll have the covers over them as well for for help with downforce or helping generate that ground effect. So, yeah, quite a bit of encouragement um, around all this all this, and all these rule changes. So, yeah, we're just going to have to wait and see in 2021 what happens. And, of course, what's the grid going to look like in 2021 too? Because most of those big-name drivers are off contract at the end of the year. So are they going to take gambles and go to different teams, or are they going to stay put? You know, like you, Sebastian Vettel, will he retire? Charles Leclerc, you'd say you'd seem to think that he's locked in at Ferrari Lewis Hamilton what does he do Valtteri Bottas will he get to stay beyond then you know with Esteban Ocon knocking on the door or you know Renault saying that Ocon's going to be a long-term prospect for them so will he be even you know available for Mercedes in the future you got to ask George Russell another one knocking on the door so there's a lot lot to ponder and a lot to mull I guess over the next uh what is it 14 15 months before we get into 2021 pre-season and everything and you know what the calendar will look like too because next year 22 races that's going to be the biggest year for formula one yet with the introduction of thailand sorry vietnam not thailand the vietnamese grand prix and also the return of zanvoort you know we've been talking about a second race in the u.s for for some time miami las vegas potential candidates what about Indianapolis Motor Speedway as well, given the um, the recent acquisition of the IMS by Roger Penske that happened in only a matter of days ago. Um, Penske acquired the IndyCar series and also the um, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and he made it no secret off the off the top of the board that um, he wants to attract you know Formula One or 24-hour endurance racing back to to uh, back to Indy so you know perhaps uh, that could be on the radar in a couple of years again uh, having Formula One back on Indy car um, back <laughs> sorry at the Indianapolis 5 no the Indianapolis Motor Speedway just or just let's call it the Brickyard all right finally getting into the final part of this week's podcast um, that full-on with F1 today you know like you, you think we might be lacking sometimes but there you go that was that was 45 minutes almost of solid f1 chat so let's finish things off with supercars though because it's the sandown 500 this weekend yeah i know who would have thought that sandown would be the enduro cup finale this year (laughs) or in november but actually when i'm looking at the weather outside 
it doesn't look like November at all. It feels like we're having the Sandown 500 at the same time as it normally is back in September. It's cold again. I mean, contrast to seven days ago where it was sunny and we're at the beach and everything. It was 33 degrees. And this, yeah, moving the race to November has done absolutely squat (laughs) weather-wise. It's going to be cold. It's going to be rainy over the weekend. And that's always just synonymous with Sandown, you've got to say. I mean, when I went to the the Shannon's Nationals round a few weeks ago or a couple of months ago now, I think now, a month ago, who knows. It was back in September sometime, you know. Um, It was a miserable cold weekend that you always have at Sandown. So, yeah, why not have... The supercars, the final Enduro Cup race for the year also um, in those sort of conditions. So, yeah, 300 points on the line for the 500k main Sunday race. Where you look at the Enduro Cup standings, you've got Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tander at the top. They're 36 points clear of Jamie Wincup and Craig Lowndes. You'd think that they would be your two main contenders for it, but then you've got also... 135 points behind the um, the number 17 car of uh, Scott McLaughlin and Alex Premer in an all-new car as well this weekend because they rode off that Ford Mustang on the Gold Coast a couple of weeks ago and scored no points in that final race there. So last year, Triple Eight swept the event. You know, they locked out the podium one two, one, two, and 3 when they still had the third car for Craig Lowndes. No win for DGR Team Penske here, you've got to say. So they're going to be eyeing off um, the big prize on Sunday. Tickford have had a few wins here in the past. You look at 2015 with Winterbottom and um, Steve Owen finishing off 1-2 and two with Chas Mostert and Cam Waters behind. And then in 2017, that famous win for Richie Stanaway and Cameron Waters together um, in the Monster Energy car. So those guys will be eyeing... Um, those guys will be eyeing a win, hopefully, the Shell V-Power team, of course. You know, they had a tough weekend out on the Gold Coast, and of course, with that team's championship now sort of looming as well with Triple Eight kind of just there or thereabouts with them, they're going to have to, like, pick up the pace because they've got 300 points on the line just for the one race on Sunday, and then we're off to Newcastle in a couple of weeks for the final event of the year altogether. So... Yeah, that's that. Looking at the other combinations, though, that are in the touching distance of the Enduro Cup, you know, you've got Scott Pye, Warren Luff. Scott Pye, unfortunately, announcing yesterday that he will be moving on from Walkinshaw and Dreddy United at the end of the year. Um, he's going to be confirmed um, by the time the podcast is uploaded. It'll probably be confirmed that he'll be at Team 18 next year, teammate to Mark Winterbottom, uh, Charlie Schwerkholz operation. So that'll be exciting to see. So Scott Pye, Warren Luff, they're there. James Courtney, Jack Perkins. So it's going to be an all-new lineup for Walker Chorandretti United next year. And um, you'd think that Chas Mostert's going to be one of those drivers, but um, we don't know who yet the second driver will be. And interesting, James Courtney saying during the week as well that he's working on trying to get Jack Perkins over to... Um, his new team in Team Sydney or whatever it's going to be called for Perkins to be his co-driver there and those guys have had a pretty good partnership together over the last few years you look back to 2015 when they won their first race as a duo of on the Gold Coast and that also being Perkins's one and only win in supercars David Reynolds Luke Yulden there too and also the Tickford cars so the Davison brothers Cam Waters and um, Michael Caruso as well as Lee Holdsworth and 
Thomas Randall. Chaz Moss and James Moffat also have a new car this weekend. Again, another rebuild after the Gold Coast, or all-new car, sorry, I should say, because that car on the Gold Coast was written off. So, you know, that'll be exciting, and they've got a cool retro livery I already told you about before. And that's the thing, it's retro round, so whether you guys want to discount it as just being a novelty item or if you get into the full spirit of it it's good to see you know some of the teams still embracing it with those um, retro liveries I think my favorite's got to be the uh, the Erebus Penrite racing livery so far would throw back to the JPS black and gold colors that Jim Richards ran on his BMW all those years ago but um, you got to say the Aussie Mail um, throwback liveries for Brad Jones racing are pretty cool as well um, HRT throwback liveries for the uh, Walkinshaw and Jetty United guys with the the lion and the helmet, and I also like the Team 18 livery as well with the uh, Irwin Tools car, sort of a tribute to the NASCAR colours um, as well. So great to see them embrace that. The format for the weekend, as always, is a bit of a tricky one for people to understand. So you have like a normal qualifying on Saturday, then you have two sprint to the grid races. So you have two qualifying races where the first one is, so the grid's formed up by the normal qualifying sessions they have earlier on Saturday. And then the first sprint to the grid race is for the co-drivers. Co-drivers race, however many laps, it's a sprint race, then checkered flag is waved then a few hours later in those positions you have the main drivers um, do the same number of laps do their race and that'll determine the grid for the actual race on Sunday and there can be a bit of carnage as well in those qualifying races particularly between the co-drivers so you know they're going to want to stay out of trouble and make sure that there's no damage done because that can then compromise your race on Sunday because Sunday is when the points are handed out, so you don't want to really be in an awkward situation come come the main race. But um, yeah, it's it's always a tough one, and Sandown's always been tough. You know, um, you see, over the last few years, there've been really bad first lap incidents. Um, I was re- watching a replay of the the epic Todd Hazelwood crash back in 2017, where you know they had to to rebuild the barrier down at Danny Dong Road corner, I think it was, and that took ages to rebuild. And then as a result, we had a time certain race. It was shortened, but um, still a still a cracking one. So. Yeah, just staying out of trouble is the key. So it looks simple, does the Sandown circuit, but it's very challenging, particularly in an endurance race as well. And good to see some good supporting categories there as well. Super 2 will be there. Australian GT Championship as well. So I really look forward to being there on Sunday and uh, taking quite a few photos. So yeah, you can be sure to look them up on Instagram or if I decide to post them or not so yeah that's that and quickly elaborating on um, before when I mentioned that Roger Penske's made his acquisition of the IndyCar series and also the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Um, you know could this also obviously Penske being a co-owner of DJR Team Penske here in supercars as well could this possibly see further ties being strengthened between Australia and the US in terms of motorsports so you know they've been talking for a while about 
having another indie race, indie car race here in Australia, whether they'll go back to the Gold Coast or there's been talk now of potentially even doing it in Sydney, you know, maybe at um, the Sydney Olympic Park, sorry, not Olympic Park, sorry, at Sydney Motorsport Park and everything. Could Penske, now that he knows a bit about the Australian landscape, be the architect of something like that or really broker something? But also vice versa, could we see supercars have another shot in the US, you know, even though commercially for audiences here it's not really good but to potentially be a showcase piece um over there you know that could be that could be something quite spectacular and as far as you know drivers and this sort of thing moving from here to there or there to here as well that could be all well and done all well and good so yeah that'll be interesting to see how that pans out but who this Penske guy seems to have a lot of uh lot of lot going on you got to say i was going to say a lot of fingers and a lot of pies essentially it's true but it's all for the love of motorsport and he's brought so much to motorsport in the u.s you got to say through his indycar nascar programs in imsa as well sports car racing and then of course you know now what he's done to help dick johnson racing you know revive themselves to to you know go f- probably further than what they've done in their past uh you know their f- what do you call it, former glory, I guess, you know, they've sort of established a new legacy with what they've achieved over the last couple of years, and, you know, I know Bathurst is going to be that little one with the asterisks next to it this year, but um, it's been a really dominant year for for those guys, and particularly for the Penske brand as well, when you look at what they've achieved um, throughout the year with IndyCar Championship, Indy 500 win, uh, IMSA title as well, you know, and now looking at a, another supercar's Drivers Championship, potentially a teams teams championship too if they can beat Triple Eight and um, of course the Bathurst One Thousand wins. So yeah, that's um, going to be exciting this weekend. No Formula One on, no other racing on, just so you can enjoy Sandown for what it is. Final endurance race as well at Sandown, which will be a bit sad as well. I mean, it'll still be on the Supercars calendar next year as a uh, as a super sprint event but um yeah this is going to be a special one hopefully so i'm gonna gonna enjoy it and yeah maverick vinales in the moto gp winning in malaysia as well so good win for him um rounding out you know their asian leg of the championship one race to go in valencia and this is where it sort of gets a bit you know sad but not sad because you know it's the end of the year we've got this is the penultimate round for supercars. We've got two races to go for Formula One and just the one race to go in, in um, MotoGP. We're finally at the end of the year. Sad because we won't have any racing for a while unless you watch. You want to watch Formula E, which maybe I might end up doing this year. Or, you know, not sad because you want a break and um, I want a break as well. It'd be nice to just reset and enjoy the summer when it comes and all the activities that come with that so yeah anyway thanks guys for listening this week um hope you enjoyed it uh be sure to follow us on the twitter page still trying to figure something out with facebook uh might have to start up a whole new page but i'll keep you all posted um in regards to that but um yeah you know with history was made and uh yeah lewis hamilton what are your thoughts on him feel free to share and um get back to me on that one but uh other than that thanks for tuning in and um we'll be back next week thank you